famous for singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen in July. So because of that, I've rearranged the words to say, I'm dreaming of a right Christmas. I'm dreaming of a right Christmas this morning. You see, there's so much about Christmas in America that is just not right. Now, in order for me to explain what I mean by a right Christmas, I'm making an acrostic with the word right. And for the R in the word right, I I believe that a right Christmas would be a reflective Christmas. For it to be a right Christmas, it would be a reflective Christmas. A right Christmas would reflect the true meaning of Christmas. And we all agree this morning, I'm sure, that the true meaning of Christmas has has certainly been distorted. The fact is, the liberals of our day have pretty well stolen Christmas from us entirely. Most of our retail stores today, who, by the way, glean 70 to 80 some, as much as 90% of their entire year's profit they glean from the Christmas season. And yet they will not use the greeting Merry Christmas, but instead will tell you Happy Holidays. I don't know about you, when they say Happy Holidays to me, I say, no, Merry Christmas. I figured if they can take my money, they can also take my greeting. The liberals of our day have pretty well stolen Christmas from us. Our public schools no longer have a Christmas break. Now it must be winter break. Baby Jesus has been replaced by Santa Claus. The true meaning and main attraction of Christmas is no longer the the manger scene with a tiny baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, but instead it is Santa and his sleigh. It's the birthday of Jesus that we are celebrating, and yet he's the only one that doesn't get a present. How would you like for your birthday to be celebrated like we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ? Everybody gets a present but the one whose birthday that it is. Everybody has a party at Christmas time. Oh, but the one with the birthday is not invited. Hey, and with all of the excessive drinking and drunkenness that goes on at most of these parties, uh, he wouldn't want to be there anyway. Oh, yes, my friends, I'm dreaming of a right Christmas. And I believe that a right Christmas would include a reflective Christmas. Oh, oh, a Christmas that reflected the true meaning uh, uh, of Christmas. One that reflected the birth of a Savior and, and all that His birth promised. Let me take just a couple of minutes this morning and suggest three things about the true meaning of Christmas. Let me suggest, first of all, today that Christmas is about a person. Christmas is about a person. Matthew 1 and 21, oh, she will bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Hear me this morning, church. Christmas is not about lights and trees and tinsel and eggnog. 
Christmas is not about Rudolph and his red nose. It's not about wrapping paper. It's not about shopping till you drop. It's not about going to grandma's house. Let me suggest that there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of these in moderation. But let me tell you, that's not what Christmas is about. But Christmas is about a person. Oh, about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the reason for the season. And you can quote me on that. Amen. Not only is Christmas about a person, but but let me suggest also that Christmas is about a plan. It's about a plan. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe upon Him would not have to perish but would enjoy everlasting life. Hear me this morning. Christmas is about a plan. It's about God's plan. It's about the plan of salvation. Jesus, the Holy Son of God, would become Jesus, the Son of Man. He would enter the womb of Mary, supernaturally placed there by the Holy Spirit. Mary, a virgin, would give birth to a sinless child, a sinless baby, and call His name Jesus. Jesus would live on planet earth as man for 33 plus years. Oh, He would be tempted with every temptation known to man, and yet He would never yield. Not even once would He yield to sin. He would live a sinless life. His entire life. At the age of 33, he would die on the cross as the substitute for man. There he would take man's place on the cross. There he would pay the penalty for sin. And therefore make it possible for man to be forgiven of his sin. And for man to be reunited with his God. Talking about the true meaning of Christmas right now. Christmas is about a person. and Christmas is about a plan. And let me tell you this morning that Christmas is about a price. Christmas is about a price. Oh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, but it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Let me suggest to you today that Christmas is about a price. The gift that God the Father gave to man on that very first Christmas morning was absolutely priceless. The price that God the Father had to pay is absolutely mind-boggling. If you're a parent this morning, if you are a father this morning, can you imagine, can you imagine the price that the Heavenly Father had to pay? God the Father had to shine off on Jesus, His Son, coming to planet Earth. It is in our nature as fathers to protect our children. Oh, if we could, we would take their place when they're in trouble. If we could, we would take their pain for them if we could. That's just the nature of a father. Can you imagine the Heavenly Father knowing, knowing what He was sending His Son into? Knowing what His Son was going to have to endure? Knowing what He was sending His Son to? But He loved this world and He loved you and me and all of us individually so much that God the Father was willing to do it. 
Can you imagine God the Father, oh, knowing that he would have to sit there on his throne and do absolutely nothing as man, oh, would torture and finally kill his son, oh, in the most cruel and degrading and painful way known to man the way of crucifixion. God the Father, knowing what was going to happen to his son, but willing to send his son anyway. And Jesus would have to agree to come to earth. We always talk about, you know, heaven and what heaven's going to be like and, you know, all of those grand and glorious things and can't wait to get out of here and and get over there and all of the things that heaven is going to be. But I want to tell you that Jesus was already there. Jesus was there. He was with the Heavenly Father and everything the Father had, it was was His as well. But oh, He had to lay all of that aside. He had to lay it all aside. He had to lay aside all of his rights and his privileges as, as being God because Jesus the Son is as much God as Jesus, as, as God the Heavenly Father is God. Jesus knowing he was going to have to pull off his royal robe. He was going to have to pull off his God, Godness if you will. Amen. Lay aside his royal robe and take upon him the robe of flesh and take upon him the, the ways and means of man. He would have to agree to come to earth knowing full well what his trip to this earth would cost him. And he knew that he would be rejected by the very people that he came to save. You know, it would be one thing, would it not? It would be one thing to give your life for somebody who appreciated it. It would be one thing to give your life to somebody who said, who cheered you and, and oh, this is awesome and incredible and, and somebody that was, that was so appreciative of what you've done. But Jesus had to give his life knowing full well that the very ones that he would give his life for, the very ones that he would suffer and bleed and die for, were the very ones that would turn their back upon him, were the very ones that would reject him and even knowing though that he would have to come and be rejected yet Jesus loved us enough that he was willing to come and even feel the rejection wow oh he knew of the torture indescribable torture nails that would be driven in his hands and his feet, a spear that would be thrust in his side, all the crown of thorns that would literally be driven down into his skull, knowing he would be whipped with a cat of nine tails on his back until actual chunks of flesh would be ripped off, knowing he would be slapped in the face, knowing he would be spit upon and mocked and ridiculed. But the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst would be that he, the sinless Son of God, who never sinned, oh, would have to have the sin of all of the world, of all past, present, and future age, somehow miraculously placed in that cup of Gethsemane. And he would have to drink. And on the cross, he would have to take the sin of the world upon himself, him that was totally, 100% pure, holy, and righteous. Knowing that his very own heavenly father would have to turn his face away from him on the cross. He could not look upon him with the sin of the world upon him. And Christmas is about a price. It's about a price. And the price began to be paid on that first Christmas morning and continued to be paid for 33 years until the third day after his crucifixion when he was resurrected from the, from the dead and from the grave, fulfilling the final requirement in order to redeem ours and save man from his sin. Hey, being, 
Mr. Crosby, oh, you can dream of a white Christmas if you like. Hey, and for Christmas in July, it would be a nice reprieve, would it not? I want you all to feel sorry for me. I just come back from two weeks in the mountains. While you were having 105, I was struggling with the 75. Thinking about you every day. Oh, yeah, a white Christmas. In July, that'd be kind of nice. Oh, it looks kind of nice up there. We've seen a lot of snow up there this, today, haven't we? How many are feeling cooler now? Yeah, Mr. Mr. Bing, you can dream of a white Christmas if you like. Oh, but I'm dreaming of a right Christmas. And it begins with a reflective Christmas where we reflect on the true meaning of Christmas. Well, let's move on in our acrostic this morning of the word right. For the I, I'm using the word impartial. Impartial, a right Christmas, I believe, includes an impartial Christmas. The American tradition at Christmas time is gift giving. Truth be known, it's not giving at all. Rather, it's exchanging. Gift exchanging. I give a gift to you, and so because I give a gift to you, then you feel compelled. You've got to give a gift to me. Now, we're not going to give a gift to Uncle George because he doesn't ever give us one. I believe that a right Christmas would include impartial giving. The matter... Matter of fact, most people, not only do they give just to those who give to them, but they give the same amount to one another. Okay, we're writing our Christmas list and making our Christmas budget, or we're in the mall, and we're saying, Bill spends 25 bucks on me, so I must spend 25 bucks on Bill. Sherry, on the other hand, she, she spends 50 bucks on me, so I better spend 50 bucks on her. If we're going to do it this way, then why doesn't everybody just keep their money in their own pocket? At least that way, you'd be able to buy what you want. And you wouldn't have to be a liar. At Christmas, a fruitcake, just what I always wanted. (laughs) And you're thinking, I wonder how many hands this fruitcake has been in. I'm dreaming of a right Christmas, one that includes impartial giving. Jesus said it like this. Look with me in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said it this way. Verse 12. Jesus said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or you give a supper, I believe that we could put in here, when you give a gift, when you do something for somebody else, is what Jesus is saying. When you give a dinner, throw a feast, have a party, Do something for somebody. Jesus said, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, 
Don't ask your rich neighbors. Why not? Well, Jesus said, because if you do, then they're going to invite you back. So, it's what we do. Right? That's what we do. No. Jesus said, when you give a dinner or have a supper or throw a feast or do something for somebody, don't, don't do it for your friends. Don't do it for your brothers or your relatives. Don't do it for your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you'll be repaid. If you've been repaid, you really haven't given anything at all. But, say but. Jesus said, but when you give a feast, when you buy a present, when you give a gift, when you do something for somebody else, do it for the poor, do it for the maimed, do it for the lame, do it for the blind, and you will be blessed. I'm going to be blessed? Yeah. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Is that a blessing? Jesus said, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you because you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's look at the G in our acrostic of this word right. A right Christmas, I believe, would include a grace-filled Christmas. Actually, the true meaning of Christmas is grace. Grace means unmerited favor. Grace is giving what is unearned. Grace is given is giving what is undeserved. And that is exactly what God did for us on that first Christmas morning. God realized that man could never ever get there by himself. He realized that man could never earn or pay for his salvation. So God said, I'm going to do for man what he could never ever do for himself. Paul says it this way in Ephesians Look there with me, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved. By grace. By my freely, by God's freely given, unmerited favor. You have been saved through faith. And it has nothing to do with you. That's what Paul said. It has nothing to do with you. Not of you, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone could boast. Hey, if God did this for us, should we not also do this for one another? I said, if God did this for us, should we not also do this for one another? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7 and 12. Jesus said, whatever you want man to do to you, then you do that to them. I'm dreaming of a right Christmas this morning. A right Christmas would include a grace-filled Christmas. A, A time to forgive, a time to forget, a time to set aside, a time to offer unconditional love. You know, I have actually known people who have been feuding for so long 
that they no longer even remember what exactly it was that started the fuss. I've actually met people. I've actually heard people tell when put on the spot. They don't even actually remember exactly and precisely what happened and how it all got started. But they've been feuding and it's been passed on from one generation to another, from one friend or person to another. And they're feuding and they're fussing and they don't even know what in the world started. They don't even really know what it is all about. How ridiculous and petty and childish. As we celebrate Christmas in July today, why not start early this year in the area of grace? Why not start this very day offering grace, unmerited and unearned love and favor? I promise you this this morning. I promise you this. Those who offer grace receive grace. And those who withhold grace, grace will be withheld. From them. We're making an acrostic with the word right today in order to describe what a right Christmas might look like. So for the H in our acrostic, a right Christmas, I believe, would include a helpful Christmas. Helpful Christmas. Let me get very practical this morning. How many would agree that there are many, many demands on our time and on our money at Christmas time? For a lot of people, they can't wait till Christmas gets here. Oh, especially kids, we know that. And, and they look forward to Christmas. And a lot of people they look forward to Christmas and they plan and they can't wait till it gets here and want all of that. But then there are other people that, man, oh man, they wish Christmas never came. And it's not because that they're misers. It's not because that, you know, that, that, that they're not good people or nothing like that. It's not because that they're negative or whatever. It's simply because of the pressure of the demands that is placed upon their time and placed upon their finances at this time of the year. The demands that might come from their children, it might come from their parents, it might come come from their friends, it might even come from their church. How many would agree that Christmas time is especially hard on the poor and the elderly? Older folks want to participate in all the traditions of Christmas too. Oh, they want lights. They want a tree. They want to purchase gifts. But for some of them, they are just not physically able to do it. Oh, what a blessing it would be to offer to put up some elderly person's tree. Or put up the lights for them. Or or maybe to take them shopping. Or maybe to take their shopping list and go purchase the gifts for them. What a blessing that it would be for someone who could not do it for themselves. And what about the unemployed? Oh, what about that struggling single oh, parent who can barely pay the regular bills, not even thinking or even comprehending how in the world are they going to do something at Christmas? Oh, what joy. What joy it would be to, to slip them a hundred dollar bill or maybe buy some gifts for their kids and put the parents' name on them and take the gifts and give it to the parents but it's, and say, this is to your kids, but it's from you. It has your name on it. Proverbs 19 and 17, the wisdom writer writes and he says, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. How would you like to be a God's banker. (laughs) That's what the word of the Lord says, that if you help the poor, if you give to the poor, if you do things for the poor, you are lending to the Lord and He will repay you. 
A right Christmas would include a helpful Christmas where you extended a helping hand to somebody, oh, who genuinely needed it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, if somebody has enough money to live well and they see a brother or a sister in need but they show no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love one another, but let us show that we love each other by our actions. I'm dreaming of a right Christmas this morning. And for the tea and the word right, a right Christmas, I believe, will include a timeless Christmas. Isn't it a shame that the spirit of Christmas only shows up once a year? Isn't that a shame? What, Pastor, Christmas in July? That sounds kind of silly. That sounds kind of ridiculous. Why? Why? Why does celebrating Christmas in July, why does that seem so far out? Why is that so far removed from our thinking? Why do we think it's silly? Why do we think it's strange that we would, we would celebrate Christmas in July? Oh, isn't it a shame that the spirit of Christmas only shows up once a year? And it's true, it does show up once a year. I mean, I mean, even the grumpiest, even the grouchiest, even the most miserly people loosen up at least a little bit on Christmas Day. People who haven't spoken to one another since last Christmas, but they gather together. Maybe even people that have, that have feuded and fought all year long, but for one day they drop their prejudice, or one day they drop, you know, whatever it is, their grudge, whatever it is. For one day, one day they gather together and they are at least civil, if not cordial to each other. For one day. Maybe you have some people in your family like most people have in their family. That about two or three o'clock, you say, we better get out of here before the fight starts. Because you know, somebody's going to push somebody's button. Or maybe they go all day long, one day out of the year. People that haven't given anything to anyone all year long, finally somehow at least have a little bit of a giving spirit. You go to the mailbox and you get the greeting card. You haven't heard from them, seen them, talked to them, written to them. But one day a year, you get the card. I believe a right Christmas would be a timeless Christmas. The spirit of Christmas practiced all year long. Let me ask you this morning, what would it be like if we developed a lifestyle of giving? A lifestyle of giving. Instead of giving only once a year, what if we kept our eyes and our ears open all year long for an opportunity to give to somebody in need? What if we set some money aside and we made a a, a pact with the Holy Spirit, and we would say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I'm going to keep my eyes and my ears open as I walk through my day throughout this year, and if you will nudge me and tell me, I will respond and bless and help someone. I believe we need that partner of the Holy Spirit because there's always somebody with a handout. 
I don't know how you are, but, you know, when I drive and here's this guy standing out there, you know, with the sign, we'll work for food. I just want to say, well, then get a job. Oh, you're hard-hearted? No. I've been in this thing a long time. And I know some of those guys make pretty good money doing that. And never a week goes by, but somebody doesn't stop by our church and want money. They want gas, or they want food, or they want money. They want a handout, and I want to tell you, my pastor's heart says, Come on, I want to give, I want to give, I want to give. But I've been in this thing a long, long time, and i found that 99 out of 100, it's a scam. When I talked to my preacher buddies, you know, last week they were in their church. I was holding a meeting one time in a certain city, and this man come in wanting food, wanting money. I had been in another city holding a meeting two weeks before the same guy came in. It was his lifestyle. Get a job. I'm not hard-hearted. I'm very tender-hearted. Believe it or not, I'm crusty on the outside. A big old heart in here. I really do. I'll give to anybody that's in real genuine need. I love to give to people. I love to give. There's not one, there's not, there's not one member of my family that my wife and I have not either loaned money to or given money to in the last 39 years. Not one member. I'm not trying to make myself look good. I want to tell you this. It's what I'm trying to tell you. Every time I've said to my wife, I've said, honey, I'm just glad we're on the giving end instead of the receiving end. I'm just glad that we're the one loaning or we're the one giving the money, not the ones asking for a loan or asking. Let me get back to what I was saying. We need the partnership of the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of people with their hands out. A lot of people that want something for nothing. And boy, they can turn on the tears. And they've all got a story, man. I've told many people, if you're, if you're genuine, I'm so sorry. I can't help you. But I, I've been, man, I've, you know, I've given away so much of the church's money. I'm responsible. And so, you know, my policy is we help our people. I can't help you. I'm sorry. But if you, most of the time it's a scam. But if you're genuine, if it's a real genuine need, I'm so sorry. Knowing 99% of the time it is a scam. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Amen. As we, as we begin to, to begin to, to say, oh, God, I, I, want to, I don't want to just give one day out of the year, but God, I want to perpetually give. I want to be a giving person. So Holy Spirit, as I walk through my day, as I have my eyes and my ears open, but also my spiritual antennas are up to you, and I want you to nudge me, and I want you to tell me when there's a legitimate need and a, a legitimate opportunity to help. I'm dreaming of a right. Christmas. Pastor Braden, would you come and whoever else you want with you this morning? I'm not suggesting that we bankrupt ourselves. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we give away what we need for our own family. But here's what I have discovered. If God can get it through us, He will get it to us. Here's what I've discovered. If we will become a giver, God will make sure we always Something 
to give. I ask you this morning, why, what if we developed a lifestyle of giving? What if we developed a lifestyle of grace? What if we learned to be quick to forgive? Quick to forget. A right Christmas would include a timeless Christmas. The spirit of Christmas practiced 24 7. Christmas in July. Who would ever think? It ought not be just Christmas in July. It ought to be Christmas in January. It ought to be Christmas in February, in March, in April, in May, in June, in July, in August, in September, in October, in November, and in December. Every day ought to be Christmas as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we understand what Christmas really means and is all about. As we embrace it in our life and it becomes not just a one-day event, Lifestyle. Lifestyle of giving. Yes, my friend, I'm dreaming of a right Christmas. Father, I thank you today. Because I recognize that.